Warning! The Bone Bad Joe is intended for adults only and contains bad words and other yucky stuff that may make some people very angry. So watch out! like a drug where these glasses makes you high but oh you come down hard What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode 217 of the Bone Bat Show. This is Steve. And this is Gordon. How's it going, man? Oh, man, it is the heat of the summer. It is freaking perfect. Perfect, Steve. Perfect for what? This is The weather is just perfect for eating vegetables and fruits that are grown in your garden and taking a dip in your pool and walking upstairs and doing a podcast. That's what I'm doing. 
I'm still a little <laughs> a little moist. I think I'm going to do this podcast moist. It's perfect for listening to a lot of podcasts. Because <laughs> you know what, Gord? It's Jumbo what? Bonus July. It's Jumbo Bonus July. You are, are spewing forth podcasts faster than I can fit them into my head. What do you think of Jumbo Bonus July so far? We've had It's a lot of content. We featured some black rock and roll from Midnight. We featured some soundtrack ambient type stylings from Thomas Andrew Doyle, some doom metal from the mighty Sorsha, and uh, even featured some podcast action from Not Even a Season. So the uh Offering has been robust, I think. It has been robust. And I am up to, just before the show. I told you how I don't have time to actually listen to our latest podcast. And now I have to confess that I'm actually completely caught up on required field, um, not even a season podcast. And I am anxiously anticipating the final episode. Yeah, I think the next next episode is coming up on Monday, right? So very yeah. soon. Yeah, very soon. Yeah. Yeah, but so, unlike our podcast, his podcasts are just a few minutes long, whereas ours are essentially a lifestyle. They're sprawling. Yes. At least the last couple. Well, and and, this, uh, this show will be no different. One, well, it'll I be think, very different and yet no different. Yeah, that's right. Uh, so speaking of something completely different, uh, we've never really done this before. Um, on the Bone Bad Show, we have always prided ourselves as being champions of independent music, but... What happens to, like, big-name music when it suddenly just goes out of print? When a band that, at one point, was the hotness almost disappears from the face of the earth and you can't buy their music anymore. What happens to a band like that? Yeah. What what happens? Not not the big, big name. Not the headline act, but the maybe the act that was opening for them that was on the tip of everyone's tongue, and then all of a sudden nobody... Nobody. Right. So uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was uh, just, you know, thinking about music like I do. And uh, I started thinking about the song High Priest of Love by Zodiac Mind Warp and the Love Reaction. And I went to go look them up and I realized, holy shit, you can't buy their music anymore. Like you can get it digitally, but you can't go to the music store and buy a CD unless it's used. You can go on Amazon and like buy a used record or eBay for like sixty to a hundred bucks. That's but madness. You, you can't get this music, which was catchy as fuck, super fun, big crunchy riffs, ridiculously oversexed, psychedelic, sex fascist, sleazebag biker lyrics. Like just <laughs> insanity, which at one moment in time did not leave my car for like a year. And you say you can only get it digitally. That's even squeezed a bit. If you go on Spotify and try yeah. to listen to all their music, you can't do it. You got to branch out, go over to YouTube or something like that. Yeah. So what we're going to do tonight, we're going to take a look back at Zodiac Mind Warp and the Love Reaction from the UK. They had this flaming hot moment in time from like 85 to 88, 89, where they were the hotness. And then in the years since, they've been active, putting out new albums up till 2010. And yet now, in 2023, if you go to their website, ZodiacMindWarp.com, it dumps to a Wix site. If you go to their Facebook page, it says that they're on hiatus. 
So I want to play some music from Zodiac Mind Warp. I don't know how this is going to go. Maybe we shouldn't even be doing this, Gord. We probably shouldn't even be doing this. I have heard a, like a couple covers of their songs. And right. Those bands weren't, you know, visited by Zodiac Mind Warp and the Love Reaction. Well, I'm not worried about them. I'm I their heads to help them off. out. Maybe we can get more people listening to them and get some new vinyl releases or get some new releases of physical media so people can dig their shit again because it's absolutely worthwhile. We open the show with Skull Spark Joker, which is a tune off of their 1988 release, Tattooed Beat Messiah. And we're going to have a lot more where that came from as the show continues. Plus, we're going to speak with some of our fellow music-loving friends about the band as well. So it's going to be totally different than how we've approached bands before, I think. Yeah, I think. Yeah. And the the, the people we're going to talk to, they're not schlubs either. These are these are big wheels in their respective worlds. We don't know schlubs. We're, we're, we, no, we're, we, we, we do schlubs know a lot of schlubs. About. I don't know any schlubs. <laughs> I know schlubs. I don't know who you're talking about. I could name names. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. A lot of great music coming up, uh, some music history, and uh, some fun discussions, I think, and uh, I hope that you uh, enjoy it as uh, much as we will presenting it to you. One other thing I just want to say, April 13th, 2024, I'm just going to put that date out there, (gasps) and that's all I have to say about that right now. Oh my God. Save the date. Oh my God the 13th on the 13th i like it 13 on 13 hmm so gore before we get into a bunch of zodiac mind warp crazy music what pisses you off man steve since we're doing a little bit different show than uh, we normally do instead of just saying what pisses me off i feel like what i should do is use this moment in time this stage this microphone perhaps to be an educational tool and help tools out there become educated (laughs) tonight we're going to cover the question should i take my four-year-old child and my six-year-old child to go see mission impossible because i just saw mission impossible enjoyed the movie but the family in front of me the mother and the two aforementioned children and the father who wanted nothing to do with the family and actually sat distant from them they sat in front of me and i watched this whole psychodrama play out the answer is no, you should not bring your goddamn four-year-old and your six-year-old to see Mission Impossible because they're too young for it. Oh, my God, people. We've forgotten how to watch movies. We have forgotten how to be in public. Question number two. Hey, if your four-year-old is really getting a little too hyperactive for this movie that you really shouldn't take him to, should you calm him down with candy? <laughs> no. No. The goddamn answer is no. No. Yes, it makes them happy for a the moment. The answer is a great big Coke. <laughs> right. Coca-Cola, Give him a just 100% sugar. Cola. That's mm-hmm. right. And maybe some some of that uh, Lickamade stuff a that's just powdered. energy drink. That, yeah. A slurry of that and Lickamade. <laughs> just <laughs> rub it right into their mouth and nose. Oh, my God. Yeah, right in front of us, this was going on. And the poor kid, he didn't want to be there. He didn't know what was going on. He's getting more and more hyper. The mom keeps trying to calm him down. He keeps asking for candy, and she keeps just putting it in his mouth. This is agitating the sister because this six-year-old, the oldest, the mature one in the relationship, (laughs) 
she's trying to get candy too when she sees her brother getting all the candy. The father is pretending like none of this is going on. Oh my god, after maybe half an hour of, of this, so we've gone through the previews, we're half an hour into the movie, they keep wanting to like stand up in their chairs and move around and, and maybe go out on the aisle and come back and ask for more candy. The woman decides she's going to calm down her kid by whipping out an iPad, I swear to God, an no, iPad. Not yes, in a movie theater. In a movie theater, puts his little headphones on him, turns the iPad up to like spotlight level, at which point I leaned in and said, hey, can you turn that off? And it was as if the woman suddenly realized what she'd been fearing all along. She was screwing up. She'd made a series of bad parental decisions <laughs> at the very minimum. And she just like turns around and she goes, yes, yes, I can. <laughs> Takes it all away from the kid. Oh, my God. It took another easily 20 minutes of back and forth and up and down and left and right and in and out before they finally left. <laughs> so mom and the two kids disappear. Dad's still sitting there. About 15 minutes after they disappear, the mom comes stomping down the aisle again, goes over to the dad, whispers angrily, and then he leaves. <laughs> People, you know what pisses me off is we've forgotten how to go to the movie. Yeah. Yeah. No, Mission Impossible, not appropriate for your four and six-year-old. They're going to get bored. Should you turn an iPad on? No. You shouldn't even have your phone on, no, let alone should, a giant but I feel like there's a way to do that if you absolutely had to do it. It would be take your kids to the very back row. Okay. If if there's room in the theater. Now, I don't know. Was the theater, like, super full? It was full, but there was probably room in the back row. Yeah, if you if you had to, like, oh, my God, I can't get a babysitter. I'm going to go insane if I don't have a night out with my husband. <laughs> Who then, doesn't like me. Right. <laughs> uh, I would say, like, take them to the very back row of the theater, give them their iPads, put them on as dim as possible, and then sit right in front of them. So you can turn around and, like, you know, reprimand them or backhand them or whatever you need to do. Or, or hold up a big Maybe blanket. I guess backhanding. So the light, the they don't do that so much is, like they did. Yeah, no, not so much backhanding going on. That's probably a good <laughs> Like they did when we were kids. When I was a – I also didn't have an iPad. I, I think if I had an iPad, I would have been backhanded when I was a child, but. <laughs> I definitely got front-handed. <laughs> I'll but say yeah. it. Yeah, no, that totally sucks, man. I, I feel like – in our area, that people are a little more well healed, I don't find quite the annoying shit that you do. Like you have it way worse. Occasionally, like I did talk about that one week, we went to the movies and there was like people that were having a full out loud conversation right down the row from us. But that was a rarity. Like I went to a movie this week and everybody was totally well behaved. So yeah. Now now behind me in this movie theater was a young woman who was super super into. The movie so much so that she did not have any unspoken thoughts. Every scene was like, "Oh my God, Tom Cruise is gonna bat bat bat." Hey, is that the actress from D D D D D D? Oh, remember her when she was and but she was just really into the movie. And yeah, maybe a little bad manners. I but I, I felt like she was okay because because she was having fun and she was kind of part of it. But she could have toned it down a little. She was vastly overshadowed. By the family in front of me, though. <laughs> my the, poor, the my poor suffering wife is like, yeah. yeah, really. The picnic, I'm surprised they didn't lay out like a picnic blanket over several seats. Pull out a boom box. 
my long suffering wife who basically hates people and the public she she was irritated by i mean, i think everyone everyone in the theater at, at this point <laughs> including me i understand ah, pisses me off steve yeah. That was long and rambling. I know we, we said, oh, man, I hope we're not long and rambling this episode. And look <laughs> at me. What besides my rambling pisses you off? Well, you know, you, you mentioned that it is summer. It's it's fresh fruit season. And so Julie and I were at the farmer's market here on Saturday. And uh, I saw, like, this display of just glorious-looking peaches. And I usually I avoid peaches because half the time they're woody or they're, they're not right. And there's, like, a week or two... It seems a year where they just look freaking great, and I can't help myself. Now, Steve, I should yes. interject at this moment. Yes. This summer has been brutal for stone fruit. Georgia, the peach state, has lost something like 90% of their peach crop, and they actually are importing them from California. So well, d- I feel do like go these on. These are Washington grown fruit. This is not okay. trucked in, these are local farms in the local area, peaches. So. As you were. Continue. Yeah, these are not your Georgia peaches. Anyway, I see these peaches, and I have a flashback to 1986. There was an article in Spin Magazine. It was a one-page interview with the Butthole Surfers called This Butts for You. And in the interview, Gibby Haynes, the singer, who we mentioned last episode as yeah. uh, potentially hanging out behind your house, <laughs> uh, claimed in this interview, I can make a badass peach cobbler. And he goes on and gives a recipe for said cobbler. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to buy some peaches. I'm going to look that recipe up. I'm going to make the Gibby Haynes peach cobbler. Let's do this. So I buy this bag of peaches, and we're going home. And I tell Julie my plan. And Julie, like, looks up the recipe. And she's like, yeah, this recipe is really weird. Because it asks you to, like, roll out, like, you make a dough, like a shortbread type dough, and you roll out a rectangle of it. And then you sort of mix egg whites and sugar and, I think, some water, and you make like a meringue, and then you paint that on this flat piece of shortbread, and then you bake that, and then you put fresh peaches on it. And she's like, yeah, I I don't know about this recipe. And then she's, we're still driving home, she's like looking further, and she's like, yeah, there are people on the internet that say that this recipe doesn't even work. It just sounds like a plate of peaches on a crust. I'm like, well, shit. Now, I had this plan, and now, and if you know, I do not bake. Like That's I, true. I cook, but I never bake. And so I just, I never have spent any time at it. I don't have those skills. And so, like, suddenly I had to shift gears. It's like 3 p.m. If we want to have a dessert tonight, you're supposed to make dough for, like, a pie or a custard pie, and then put it in the fridge for two hours, and then you got to bake it for another hour, like... It was getting to be, it was going to be crazy late to have this dessert. Yeah, you know, maybe don't get recipes from people associated with the word butthole. Maybe, maybe not. So I made a dough. Julie suggested, instead of two hours in the fridge, 20 minutes in the freezer. So I did that. I rolled the dough out. The dough cracked. I pushed it into a pie plate. I made a custard. I put it in there. I baked it. And then by 8.15, we had a custard pie with fresh peaches on top. And it was actually pretty good. But what pisses me off is, one, <laughs> that this recipe was like pre-internet, right? So if a recipe comes out now and it doesn't work, you immediately have a bunch of comments saying, this recipe does not work, and here's how to fix it. I made the recipe, blah, 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 blah. 
But because this was so old, there was no evidence of this. Like, nobody had fixed the fucking recipe. All I could find was this comment from a guy. He goes, you really should put something in there about how the recipe was printed wrong and doesn't work. Gibby was embarrassed about that. Don't know enough about cooking to tell you why it didn't work, but that's what Gibby said in later interviews. I can't even find the later interviews where he talks about it not working. So that totally pissed me off. That <laughs> A, bad recipe. B, nobody fixed the recipe. C, I never applied myself to have the skills to figure out how to fix the recipe on my own. Why didn't you just do grilled peaches? Oh, our daughter doesn't like baked fruit or cooked fruit. So if I wanted her to taste the fruit at all, it has to have fresh fruit on it. And additionally, I kind of wanted fresh peaches. Okay, that's legit. I hope you learned your lesson. Yeah, I, I, well, I don't know if I did. I mean, you I don't know, think clutch, you're going to be clutch. Put a whole crab cake recipe in a song <laughs> into a song. Yeah, and the recipe fucking is on point. It makes a delicious crab cake. I would recommend hot bottom feeder to anyone. Mm, yeah. And you know what? Hot bottom feeder is perilously close to the word butthole, if you think about it. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> so anyway, that's what pisses me off. Uh, if anybody does take a look at that recipe and figure out a way to fix it, let me know. Because I would be interested in knowing for my own future use if that recipe is at all salvageable. And that's all I've got. Should we check out a tune? Yeah, Steve, we should definitely check out a tune. You and I have done the longest, ramblingest, what pisses us off, I think we may have ever done. Let's, <laughs> let's rock. All right. Well, this is the title cut from the 1986 EP on food records from Zodiac, Mind Warp, and the Love Reaction, High Priest of Love. Sister. You ain't nothing at all. I 
right, once again, that was High Priest of Love from the EP of the same name, 1986 Food Records, Zodiac, Mind Warp, and The Love Reaction. And joining us now, one of our oldest friends from way back in the day, Billy Fields. How you doing, man? Oh, you know, it is just lovely to be here with you two knuckleheads. <laughs> you know, you just announced him as Billy Fields. Billy Fields, do you know anything about music or the music industry or vinyl or anything like that? I mean, yeah, so it could be you, a long-haul you, trucker for all our fans know. And, well, I mean, I do that on the side, too. I haven't told you about that gig. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, so quickly, just so you guys know, yes, we are the oldest friends. We went to high school together. Uh, I have spent the last, uh, what year is it, 23. Wow. Uh, started working in a record store in 1986, July of 1986. So I've been in the music business from then until now. Uh, I am a, a veteran of a thousand psychic wars, as they say, or a million <laughs> or whatever that whatever that lyric is. Uh, and I currently work for the Warren Music Group and uh, oversee strategy around the vinyl format. And I also deal with a whole bunch of independent record stores all around the country, all the, all the best ones that everybody knows. I probably know the owner or the buyer or the manager and uh that's what i do every day so i uh, get to talk about records i get to sell records i get to uh we love the turn people record onto records here in seattle yeah. shout oh, out gotta, to uh, silver yeah. platters man my absolutely home record mike store. i love it mike bat uh owns those shops he's a great dude love him to death love the shops love easy street yeah easy um street. sonic boom uh sonic boom absolutely uh yeah it, seattle we, is a we have market. a record store <laughs> Hey, you know Armadillo you know music? Hey, listen, don't talk any shit about Armadillo. Yes, you have one in Davis. Okay. It's a fine, it's a fine record store. Um, I got to tell you, like, I think having Tower, like, in that, I'm just going to diverge just a sec. So having Tower in Sacramento so heavily back in the day, mm-hmm. back in the, you know, 80s and 90s, I think it really, it kept a really robust market for other record stores for, for, from coming in. And I think that um, there's a couple of great shops in Sacramento now as a result of all this time. One run by uh, one of the great guys from Tower, Dal Bossi. It's called Phono Select. It's a great shop. Um, but I think that that region suffered from developing really great shops. And there, there have been them in the, in the day, by the way. There was The Beat in Sacramento, which is a fucking great record store. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, Davis doesn't have uh, a, a giant uh, – uh, inventory of independent record stores. Gorge, you're right. Yeah, not not like Steve Land up there. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, it's 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 a rich musical history and uh, a lot of great record stores. Yes. Anyway, so that's that's what I do every every day at this point. So yeah. So, and if you want to follow me on socials, you certainly can. I don't usually show myself, but uh, Billy says vinyl, S E Z vinyl on uh, Instagram, Twitter, and now the new fucking Meta Threads thing. So. It's pronounced threats. Stuff. <laughs> threats. Oh, I like that. So feel yes, free to use it. threats. You know, yeah, the reason I, uh, I wanted to have you on this particular show, though, Bill, is yeah. that I don't know if you'll recall this. Probably 1987 comes along. Guessing I probably saw the Prime Mover video from Zodiac Mind Warp and Love Reaction on Headbangers Ball or something like that. And I'm like, that song's a lot of fun. So I went and I bought the cassette right away whole album was super catchy, crunchy, funny. I played the hell out of it. And then a couple of months later, I came down to Sacramento to see Iron Maiden with you. 
And yeah. while I was there, you had the High Priest of Love EP in your collection, which I had not heard yet. And so I was able to get a copy of that. And that sort of rounded out my Zodiac Mind Warp experience. So do you recall like listening to them at that time? I don't recall listening to them at all, but I do recall <laughs> you coming down and us going to that show. Yeah, that was a crazy that was a great concert. Show. Remember that was it was a great raining? Show. Yes. And like Bruce Dickinson came out and like, if you're going to stand out here in this rain, then we'll keep playing. Which meant like two or three <laughs> more songs, but... You sounded totally just cool. like him, by the way. I thought you sounded just oh. like him. Yeah, we got totally to Gordon. go backstage, <laughs> and uh, I got autographs of like four of the band members in my tour yes. program, which was super cool. So, thank you again now, remember, for I, a lovely weekend experience. That was amazing. You're welcome. And, <laughs> you have by no the way, recollection of the the part that we're talking about. I, I'm no, surprised no, but, he remembers but, me, but I remember th- that meeting them all backstage i was like holy shit all these guys are basically shorter than i am that can't be true <laughs> that's what i remember because i'm a little guy i mean i'm not a, i'm not a tall fella uh and i think i was i think that's the thing that i was most struck by meeting them backstage except for nico who was was pretty much a giant compared to me i think he must have been as tall as you are steve but everyone I, else I was, he was literally no, he was tall smaller compared than me. to the other members of iron maiden Okay, maybe that's what it is. But I think he was not much taller than you, and I was taller than he was. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. yeah. I mean, look, I, I, what I do remember about Zodiac is this. Um, I got into Hanoi Rocks uh, as we were getting uh, into 84, 85, getting out in, for me getting out of high school, mm-hmm. um, and loved the glam rock, th- glam rock thing uh, to it know it. Us still do. Hanoi Rocks, by the way. Yeah, still, still uh, one of my favorite bands of all time. Still listen to those records. Um, Not only that, and, the Cult. No, no, for sure, absolutely. I mean, yeah. that's the thing. It's like if you look at all that stuff, like that, the Cult, Zodiac, um, and then you like blend into like Dogs Dia More, and you eventually get to '88 and get to Guns N' Roses. So there's yeah. like this through line of all that stuff that actually made a whole lot of sense. Um, I cannot remember listening to i don't remember what those songs sound like from zodiac it's terrible isn't that weird how that works well, you'll, you'll go back and you'll listen like, to this episode and you'll go oh yeah exactly no, no i love it that's exactly right right so let's let's talk a little bit about the history of the band so uh the band was formed by a gentleman named mark manning who was actually like a magazine writer and a graphic designer in 1985 so he did not come from a musical background to speak of but one of the, the people that he started working with first was uh, a guy named Jimmy Cotty, who later would go on to form The Orb, and a guy named Bill Drummond, who would go along with Cotty and form the KLF. Now, the KLF was kind of this British electronica band, but one of the things that they were known for is they put out a book called The Manual, How to Have a Number One Hit the Easy Way which they had boiled down making pop hits to a science and felt like they could prove that. So I found that I thought that was interesting that sort of Zodiac Mind Warp came out of almost nowhere. And then immediately they had like by 86, they had a record deal by 88. They were doing their first U S tour. And so it was really interesting how fast they got on the scene. Like, they just didn't seem to grind it out in the clubs for many years like a lot of other bands. You know what I mean? But Yeah, they went from just zero to boosh. Here we are! <laughs> but there was clearly some thought behind it, like how to make a pop hit, because he was working with these people who knew how to do that stuff. 
But those those cats came out of the UK, though, right? Yes, absolutely. Like they came out of the UK, and I think this is one of the things that that over the years of being in the music business, like not understanding like how those groups became so prominent so quickly. Like we, it felt to us like it was overnight, right? Mm-hmm. But in the reality is, is that when you look at what happens in the UK scene, especially at that time, like like you mentioned KLF as an example, like all these bands because of the way that BBC Radio works inside the territory. It's it's when you're on a certain channel, like everyone in the country hears it mm. because that's the way the BBC works. It's like it's not like we are in the States where they've got this huge expanse. Everyone's got all these different tastes. You've got all these different DJs at that time giving you out all this different music and letting you hear one thing or the other. In the UK, when you became a hit, it's because everyone heard you. So you could you could essentially get arrive uh, to a prominent location faster in the UK. I mean, if if you've got you know songs that people are actually want to hear, right? But it makes the the sort of the transition of not known, known, then you're signed to a UK label, and then all of a sudden you've got all these independent labels in the states that are looking for what's coming out of the UK, and then signing you that way, so you get into the states even quicker than it normally would be. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that era, with coupled with video, coupled with MTV, you, you had this like, like injection immediately. Like if you had a look, if you had a sound, it was, I'm not going to say it was easy, but it was easier than the, the previous decade to be able to get that sort of prominence that quickly. Interesting. Well, to your point, by 1988... Their first U.S. tour was supporting Guns N' Roses in the United States. And I even exactly. found a newspaper article. Uh, this was from the Burlington Hawk, April 27, 1988. Guns N' Roses tortures crowd. Zodiac Mind Warp steals show. <laughs> so, wow. Yeah, they uh. were by, by 88, they were hitting on all cylinders. They were touring the U.S. And that would be their biggest album, Tattooed Beat Messiah. It reached the top 20 in the UK, which I believe would be their peak on the charts. Right. So uh, why don't we listen to a tune from that album right now? This is called Prime Mover. Listen here, wolf child. I speak to you of the science of mythology. I speak of maverick deviation, the psychotronic love commandos. We shall be drunk on stars. We shall fear nothing. Demand the impossible. Dream your destiny. Defy the logic of alphabets. I slayed the king of the wolves. Nothing is impossible.
Once again, that was Prime Mover from Zodiac Mind Warp and the Love Reaction off the 1988 release, Tattooed Beat Messiah. And uh, we've got another guest now, don't we, Gore? That we do. You know, we're going to continue to bring you high-caliber guests on this show. We've got with us John Downing, better known as JD, who has been skiing tremendously long distances, training for long distances, coaching oh my gosh he's coached paralympic athletes he's coached world university games athletes but what it all comes down to is this is a world-class athlete that spends a long time training doing these long runs and as part of that long run long drive training he's done he's listened to a lot of music i know jd from a million years ago we introduced each other to a lot of different kinds of bands, but Zodiac Mind Warp was one of those bands that it just sort of came out of nowhere. Everybody already knew about it, and I couldn't introduce it to JD. He couldn't introduce it to me. You and I couldn't introduce it to each other, Steve. It's just... So, JD, how did you find out about Zodiac Mind Warp and the love reaction? I was sitting on a beach in San Diego, Mission Beach, uh, a spring break of 80... Seven is that when uh, Prime Mover came out? Um, yeah, the let's, single let's, May 1987, the Prime Mover single came out. Yeah, so uh, I, don't, I don't know how the surfer had it so quickly, but uh, I'm sitting there with a couple other friends, and we're chatting away, and I hear this just kicking tune, and that was the heart of pop metal, uh, you know, hair bands and whatnot, so I pricked up my ears immediately and listened and I went, hey, that's a kicking song. And I look over at this guy and it was just like a, a prototype uh, Spicoli look <laughs> with this guy. And uh, I asked him, hey, what band is that? And he's got a little boom box and he goes, oh, you know, Zodiac Mind Warp and Love Reaction. And I, I'm like, like, everybody knows that. <laughs> and had no idea who they were. But um, immediately, you know, put it on my little mental list and uh, picked up the, uh, that was back in the cassette days, so I picked up the cassette and uh, that, that set me off because soon after that I was in my post-grad racing days. We're going to call it semi-professional, although I made a whopping out of six years, $100. Um, <laughs> but, 
Well, you got a couple of cars out of it. I mean... Well, yeah, well, no, I mean, plane tickets, maybe, but, um, and okay. the funny thing is, the hundred dollars I won was in a beer drinking ski race down in Australia, <laughs> so I'm not, I'm really not sure how it <laughs> Well, was it Australian dollars? I mean, oh, I guess they're on the pound. Nope. No, it, no, it was a hundred dollars U.S. I mean, okay. sure they, they rounded up, but, uh, <laughs> that, the Zodiac, uh, cassette totally made my rotation, and, uh, I had a very sophisticated sound system in my car, uh, consisting of a, a extension cord plugged into the cigarette lighter to another boombox uh, that I would cross uh, to uh, camps in Utah where the U.S. ski team was based and my club team, and uh, you know go back and forth from Truckee. And uh, so they were in heavy play until the the upshot of this whole thing, my my experience with the band was uh, I was down in Santa Cruz visiting another friend, and uh, I was trying, I had taken so much flack from Nordic skiers about not actually being a surfer, just kind oh, of, okay. you know, having the surfer vibe, but I, I actually wasn't because I spent all my time in the mountains. And uh, Was there a <laughs> lot of crossover of that, like, with the Nordic people, like, both uh, surfing and skateboarding? Well, the funny thing is, nowadays there is. But back in the late 80s, 90s, nobody, nobody on the Nordic circuit that I knew surfed. Oh, okay. Uh, I, have a, I have a bunch of Nordic friends that are big surfers now. Um, and actually up here in the Northwest, both Oregon and Washington, they'll go out in just the airtight suits, uh, the dry suits. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I find that just so ironic that, you know, <laughs> you grew up in California, you never surf, and now you know all these You're surfing where it's absolutely freezing. Yeah. Exactly. exactly. You might as well be you might as well be in Anchorage doing this. But uh, I, I was starting out with body surfing uh, down in Santa Cruz with this buddy, and uh, he had loaned me a, a dry suit or a wetsuit, sorry. And uh, we're out there, you know, just flipping around in the waves. And I come back to my car, windshield busted in or side windows busted in, and some uh, some of the downsides of the surf culture or the the grabbing, you know, smash and grab thieves. And some guys had seen my very sophisticated sound system, so they ripped off not only the little boombox I had, but also a box of cassettes, and in it was the Zodiac cassette. And I was oh, realizing damn. this backstory after Gordon contacted me, because I was combing through my cassettes to see if I could find it, and I went, oh my god, it was in the bat! it was in the batch that got stolen. So it was kind of a full circle, you know, which the ocean gives you, it takes away. <laughs> right on. <laughs> Oh, that, that's brutal because, you know, so much of that is out of print. You know, you can't exactly go get it back. Well, I ended up buying on uh, iTunes uh, a number of years ago, actually, uh, long before uh, uh, you guys got in touch. And I, I bought, um, it's kind of like a, a remix version. And they added all this stuff to the front of it where, you know, it, it's just crazy stuff. You know, it's like some kind of gothic lead in. And, uh, it, it's fun, but it's not like the original. It's it's not quite as edgy. Uh, I think the original had more of a demo feel, which I found really appealing. Interesting. Uh, but, okay. Uh, yeah, but um, I have been able to find that version, uh, or in the past. I, I don't know if you can find it now. And um, so I, I do have it on my computer, and uh, it's you know it's a kick and tune. The only bummer is they had some other good songs, mm-hmm. and of course you know I'm out of luck now. <laughs> 
Yeah, no, that the whole Tattooed Beat Messiah album, I think, is pretty solid. That's why, like, the same as you, it stayed in rotation for me. I had it in my truck for, like, a full year playing it all the time. And we just rotated it in and out, listening to other stuff. But listening to that a lot, it never left the car. And uh, Right. And it's funny, too, you mentioning, like, first hearing a song and instantly thinking... Another song that I think was like that, the first time I heard Party Hard by Andrew W.K., I was like, Song mm-hmm. of the Summer. Like, the minute I heard it, I was just like, yep, that's the Song of the Summer. It's going to be fucking everywhere. And it was. Like, within a couple of months, you couldn't go into a grocery store without hearing it. And Prime Mover was a lot like that, too. Like Just not played in once, grocery stores. It was it was playing in a lot of places. You'd see it on Headbangers Ball. It would be playing on the radio. where A lot of places. Yeah, it, it yeah. was everywhere. Right, and I... I think they would have been a perfect fit for like a Bill and Ted movie, mm-hmm. you know, uh, that that kind of thing. Uh, or I think the band might have even gotten, you know, actually gotten somewhere had they been able to catch on like that because they had a good sense of humor mm-hmm. and definitely talented. But uh, say la vie. Yeah. Well, yeah. Interesting. So by 1988, they had toured, as we mentioned previously, with Guns N' Roses across the United States. Which then, sidebar, sidebar, yes. I. <laughs> discovered this band that i jd was really into the into the metal stuff into the pop metal especially i discovered this band and i said jd listen to this album you're really gonna like this album he gave it back to me shortly later said hey thanks really not into it yeah it was guns and roses appetite for destruction (laughs) you were kind of championing that album because i remember you told me like immediately dude you've got to go get this album and I went and got it like right away when it came out on your recommendation. So I got the, the Robert Williams inside cover that was since yeah. removed with that art in it. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, so that was 100% because of your recommendation. And those, those covers are uh, they're collector's items, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, oh, I'm sure. So. Yeah. Not that I'd sell yeah. it, but yeah, it's, I, I recognize that it's a rarity. Yeah, I yeah, sold mine. I definitely uh, have to hang my head in shame with that because uh, I remember vividly, I, I really didn't give it the, the, the full play. I just kind of skipped through the tunes and I always look back on it like Gordon is, will never, ever let me forget that. Absolutely not. <laughs> you, you really need to play the whole dang thing. But uh, he, he did get back at me, though, because he, he twisted my arm and kind of guilted me into going to a a dive bar in Sacramento while he had a broken arm. And, uh, <laughs> oh, that's it, right. And what he didn't say is that we were going to see this very, very up-and-coming band, ended up being the Red Hot Chili Peppers, in a dive bar, and that I was going to be his basically default body protection. Yeah, human shield, which, essentially, is what Yeah, human shield. Right. Because he rotated out against the post and put my body between the moshers. <laughs> so I took more than enough flailing from that evening <laughs> while also being amazed that okay i didn't sign up for a strip club but here's an all-male naked band <laughs> at the end weirdly i wasn't the naked one in this situation right right but uh, none of us were but the band was and yeah. the good news is i can tell everyone that i didn't recognize gnr's talent from the beginning but I was there at the beginning of the Chili Peppers. So that yeah. I, I have to thank Gordon for that. You know, Gordon uh, yeah. was, to give Gord credit, we don't always agree on everything musically, but the other album that is legendary to me now that I didn't believe in at first, 
Paul's Boutique by the Beastie Boys. Jordan oh. loved that album <laughs> when it first came out, and I like bought it, shrugged, threw it in a box, and five years later went back to it and was like, this is genius. And at the time when it first hit, I was not ready for that album, and Gordon was the first one to call that one as well. Oh, thank you. Although, you know, Beastie Boys were a little bit bigger by the time Paul's Boutique came out than, say, uh, Guns N' Roses. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> but, um, you know, J.D., you and I also saw, I think, the uh, same show, Slammin' Watoozies. They, they oh, yeah. did the, you know, Skate, 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 which I believe became a, a little bit of a an anthem for you as you roller skied throughout Northern California training in the summer. Yep. And that that's a true story. I forgot completely about that. That that was kind of a mantra at uh, camp when because uh, there's two different techniques with uh, Nordic skiing. So whenever we were doing a skate workout, that that became. I got other guys on that. Uh, other Nordic skiers. Skate, skate, skate as fast as you get. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, honestly, I I thought about getting one of their cassettes at one point with that that track on it. And, but I was so poor at the time that I couldn't justify the whatever cassettes were going for you. Yeah, the, the eight ninety nine. Yeah, I would have given yeah, you mine, was, but I think it melted in my car. Right. It, it, I had to either choose eating for that week or you know because <laughs> <laughs> I remember those days. Yeah. Ah, those are the days. So, oh, right on. So go back on, to, Steve. So back to Zodiac Mind Warp. Tattooed Beat Messiah reached number 20 on the UK charts. It turned out that, if this is true, this is from the internet, but half of the tour following that album, what I've read is that Zodiac Mindwarp got hit by a car. Uh, Dang. Yeah, he was run over outside the lead mill in Sheffield, England, and that caused the remainder of the tour to be canceled. So I I don't know what effect that had on their ability to continue building the momentum that they had but uh it would be a few more years 1991 was when they ended up releasing their next album which was called hoodlum thunder and uh zodiac himself recalls quote to be honest this label that we were on was the only ones that would have the album they're like the south america of the record industry we got turned down by literally every record label in the world (laughs) You know, I dig Hoodlum Thunder. Cobalt's guitars sound as good as ever. Uh, the riffs aren't quite as hard-hitting, I would say. Uh, and there's a bunch of electronic sounds and samples that sort of cushion the blow, but definitely an entertaining addition to the catalog. The main claim to fame from Hoodlum Thunder is the song Feed My Frankenstein, which Alice Cooper would make a big hit out of and continues to play live to this day. Yeah. yeah, hopefully they get some some royalties for that. So you know, there, there's got to be something about Sheffield and car accidents affecting pop metal bands because you know Def Leppard's originally from Sheffield. Oh yeah, you know? and Rick Allen, of course, you know they hung with it, and they now have the only one arm drummer in the universe. But yeah, Zodiac Mindwork, their timing was just a little bit off because. Once they got into the early 90s, of course, then everything was starting to slide. So Yeah. Thanks. Well, sure. By 1991, Nevermind comes out, and you're looking straight down the barrel of grunge. Anyway, interesting it, story yeah. up till that point. In England, you need to look the other direction to see if cars are about to hit you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, 
have you ever been down to Australia and New Zealand? I have. Okay. So I would go down there for three summers to ski. And, um, and just before and after I had the Zodiac Mind Warp tape, uh, you know, before the, the sea took it back. But uh, when you're down, well, I, it's the same in the UK. It's just you, you do the tube in London and everything. So you're not there on roads as much, right? But crossing roads in Australia and New Zealand, I found myself every single, it was our summers, their winters, every yeah. single time I was down there, I'd have to do the little kid, you know, like the six-year-old that's been just schooled by their parents, <laughs> look both ways eight times. And I would sit there and look back. I must have looked like a freak because I'd go back and forth. <laughs> yeah, but you didn't get run over. So double take or, or direction. Yeah. Yeah. Weirdly, I, I drove that, yeah. around uh, New Zealand. And what was weird was how polite the drivers are. You get to these yeah. one lane bridges and like a big, long one lane bridge. And people just stop and take turns. Oh, nope, they're coming this way. I'll wait. That would never fly in America. They would just, it would be a gunfight. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and they'll pick up, or they did back in the day. I don't know if it's still the same, but they'll pick up people hitchhiking. Like, I mean, they'll they'll stop and ask you, do you need a ride? And, uh, you know, I I was like, this is great. Because you, you didn't have to, you know, worry about buses or trains. You just, like, put your thumb out and you could go anywhere. They'd go out of their way for you. So, yeah. amazing people. They really are, and you know, got a shout out to the to the Kiwis because when Christchurch had that horrible earthquake, my parents were stranded there, and uh, just random ass stranger noticed that they were looking around, lost amid all the chaos, and went, ah, "Right, you're with me." It took them took them home, just took them to his house, and they spent the rest of their time in New Zealand with this random dude that totally took care of them. Wow, that's amazing! Yeah. yeah, it sounds exactly like Kiwis. They're, they're, and you know, a lot of Aussies. When you get out of the cities, uh, and that's where I was, you know, down in the Victoria. The all three years I went to both nations, uh, and uh, the, when you get into the mountains of Australia, the people are so genuine. Uh, I never went, you know, to the true outback or anything, but I'm sure it's the same there. The, uh, the cities are cities; they're big cities, so everybody's kind of cityfied. But you get out into the country and it's just incredible people. So, well, hopefully, our two listeners uh, south of the <laughs> equator will join <laughs> us. Right on. The kudos were piling upon them. Yeah. Well, thank you, JD, so much for joining us on the show and sharing your memories of Zodiac Mind Warp and the love reaction. As we promised, we've got one more question for you that we always ask all of our guests here on the Bone Bat Show. What pisses you off, man? Oh, I got to go with uh, wildfire smoke. I was yeah. telling Gordon earlier that uh, we've already got our, our first dose of smoke up here in Bend, and uh, it's like a month too early, and everybody has to go through it in the West. Well, now it's nationwide, right? Like people in New England all know yeah. the pain. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, wildfire smoke, There, there's nothing... Nothing that doesn't make that miserable. <laughs> yeah, no, it is miserable. I'm glad that we've avoided it so far, but I don't know how long that'll last. Things are pretty dry out there, so we'll see in Washington. Right, 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 yeah. Well, I guess you guys got some rain recently, but... Yes, uh today, as a matter of fact. Oh, yeah, so that's good. That yeah. buys you probably two days. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Right on, man. Well, uh, 
Thanks again. So why don't we listen to another tune? Uh, since we just talked about it from 1991 and Hoodlum Thunder, this is the Zodiac Mind Warp and the Love Reaction version of Feed My Frankenstein.
Alright, once again, that was Feed My Frankenstein, taken from 1991's Hoodlum Thunder on Musidisc Records by Zodiac Mind Warp and the Love Reaction. And joining us again, Billy Fields. Welcome back to the show, man. He's back! Were you here it's this a, whole time? Were you you know what's amazing? You know what's, I was, and what's amazing is the first time Steve introduced me, he called me Bill, and now he's calling me Billy. So, I mean, we've really, we've really progressed in just yeah, a few minutes. You've added a vowel. Congratulations. <laughs> well, I mean, sometimes well, a vowel. Sometimes a vowel. <laughs> At this point in Zodiac Mind Warp's career, they were no longer on a major label. They were putting out independent releases every few years and they were alternating those with a live album so in 1993 uh, they released the my life story ep uh, that was followed by a live album live at reading 1993 as well in 1994 they released one more knife studio release 2002 they released an album called i am rock which was uh, re-released in 2005 with four additional demo tracks uh, they released in 2004 Weapons of Mass Destruction, which was a live album. In 2005, they released uh, their fifth studio album, Rock Savage. In 2006, they released Pandora's Grizzly Handbag, which was a live album and DVD from 1986. And then in 2010, they released their final studio album to date, We Are Volsung, which... Uh, that's the one album that you can still kind of pick up, either digitally or order a CD. And I was pleasantly surprised at how good it is. For my money, it's catchier than Hoodlum Thunder from 1991. And I've really enjoyed checking out that album. So uh, we'll play a cut from that in a little bit. But uh, it, it was sort of interesting to me, the, the trajectory, and then now how it's really hard to find their stuff. And uh, I wanted to ask Bill, as somebody who works in the music industry, like what happens when a band's music goes out of print? Yeah, um, you know, there's a lot of reasons why it happens. So some of it could be based on the band. I was going to ask you, too, about about the the personnel changes and the label changes, right? So when you have a band that has actually jumped from label to label to label, you might have rights that are delayed that move from one label to another so that could keep something from being up uh, okay. sometimes what happens is you'll notice on streaming services where the same record will be up twice mm. um and you can't really tell what the difference is you start to get into the p and c lines basically the copyright lines uh, and you figure out like who owns what so that could be a reason like the rights are murky right mm -hmm. um there could also be a direct request from the artist that hey the prior things i don't want to um, just they make those requests all the time. If you remember, um, let's call it the brouhaha that happened uh, during pandemic, I think, during pandemic, around the Joe Rogan show on Spotify. Oh, yeah. And Neil Young and Joni Mitchell both said, yes, hey, yes, look, we don't want to be on the same platform. So, you know, as the companies that represent them, then we have to honor their requests and then issue takedowns. So the records might come down from a service because of that. Mm -hmm. um, there could also be just the, the reality of, Wow, we don't we don't have these records served out to these digital service providers. That's what uh, all these guys are called DSPs, um, because whoever actually has the rights to those records, whether it's the artist or the label that issued them, just hasn't put them up. Mm -hmm. um, if you expand your mind and think about all of the recordings that have occurred in the history of the music business, which um, are 
Legion. Almost Legion, yeah, yeah, just innumerable. It's, I mean, between, right. between everything, I mean, not just the majors, but everywhere across the globe, and how much of it didn't even transition from original tape to CD when all of that changed to CD. So how many recordings that were recorded pre-CD era didn't make it to CDs? And then actually now, after all this time, how many recordings that did make it to CD but have not actually been digitized to the proper quality to actually put up onto DSPs. So there's there's actually a couple steps in this whole game that have kept... Kind of like fall through the cracks. No, and that's exactly it. And look, think about this. Um, the way in which things get exploited that companies on the rights to is that there's someone in-house that uh, that plays the role of A&R. So mm-hmm. A&R can do... On the new release side, like I'm going out finding new music, I'm trying to sign new artists for a label, I'm trying to see what's coming in the future. But you also have really great, super knowledgeable people in the business that do A&R for catalog. But if you have someone that could exploit the rights of Zodiac Mind Warp, right? Mm. But they just don't know the catalog because maybe they were born in 1992 (laughs) i'm totally serious like this is the hard part this is the hard part to face as an old man like there's a lot of hard parts to face as an old man (laughs) no you're right gordon you're absolutely right this is probably one of the the easiest ones but like (laughs) the 90s were 30 years ago yeah yeah sure it's like there's so much that doesn't make it through right and you can do this on everything by the way books movies everything sure so that's those are some of the reasons competition for content as well 100% 100% and you're, yeah. and you're and always moving forward sure. and, and you're always moving forward so uh, it could be any of those reasons and maybe a mix and match of, right. of a couple of them well, with uh, regards to Tattooed Beat Messiahs, that's been re-released twice. Once in 1987 like a no frills release, it was just re-released as the best of Zodiac Mind War which, you know, oh, that's no new lighter that notes, seems weird. nothing Wait, what, just, was the, what was, the, what was that, the label? That just sucks I think it was Virgin that is just weird. Yeah. And then it was released by a boutique label, which I, I own a couple other releases from called Rock Candy in 2007 okay. with like eight right. bonus tracks, unreleased cuts, which was right, a pretty right. cool release. But even that now is gone. I had to buy that used because right. I wanted and what to about check like out those, uh, covers? Those like shows. there's a cover tattooed beat Messiah by uh, speed freaks. I don't think you can hear Zodiac mind warp sing. Tattooed Beat Messiah mm-hmm. on Spotify, but you can hear someone cover it. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Because I mean, look, you guys can make a band where you. I, no, I we tried. Never, it was. It was. I know, but I'm just saying you can still you can try it again. You could put your music up on on platforms. There are so many services that allow you to be straight lined in. It doesn't mean anyone's going to ever find your music. It doesn't mean that your music's ever going to be played. But you could put whatever you wanted up. You're an entity, you're going to sign up, you're going to put your music up on DSPs. So well, the, and that, the that's the thing I sort of know from being friends with and supporting a lot of independent bands is everybody's right. got all their shit on Bandcamp. So if right. nothing else, if Zodiac Mind Warp has the rights to their own music, which a number of the albums are on independent labels, then why don't they have, you know, and maybe that, like you're saying, that was up to them. But my first thing, if somebody asked me, would be, hey, put everything you've got on Bandcamp and be selling that. So at any sure. given time, somebody like me can link to your music and try to share that with the world. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Of course. I mean, it, it, it is all about, you know, uh, that amplification process. Bandcamp's a great platform, too. We love them. I think they're they're super cool. I buy lots of records from them. Love the process. Love the platform. Same here. Like Bandcamp yeah. Fridays, where they oh, it's, cut yeah, out it's the fantastic. fee. And yeah, oh, totally. The, yeah, the entire uh, amount you pay goes to the band the first Friday yeah. of each month, yeah, like yeah. eight months yeah, a year. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yep. Yeah, I think it is, too. Yeah, I love those guys. So... On that note, like, if you want to help a band get their stuff back into action, do you have any tips or thoughts on how you could sort of make that happen? Like, as a fan, how do how do you help Oxygen Debt get back out there and tour? <laughs> right. So, what I would do, I think, if I if I was driven, and I know that Steve, you are. So, here's what I would tell you to do: I would figure out how to contact the band. Tell them this is what you want to do. But hey, they don't have to do anything. You'll do it. All you need is masters, assets. You'll do everything else. And then go about doing it. Um, Because there are any number of platforms that exist in the world right now where if you have the rights to the music and the assets, they'll do all the production work for you. You want to make records? Easy peasy. Go to Digger's Factory. Uh, go to a company called Crates. It's Q-R-A-T-E-S. Um, both of them will, will handle your production for you. You give them the album elements. They'll even help you design jackets. You could get uh, records Lathe Cut, which is a live direct to uh, a PVC-like platform. Sometimes it's acrylic. It all depends on what the lathe cutter is using. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's actually PVC blanks. But you know, you could say... I want this cut uh, this way. Um, there's lots of ways you could actually do it, but I think it starts with, hey, band, I want to do this. I, I love your music. I want to help you get this done. What can I do to, to, to be a part of it? Right on. Um, what you might find, though, is that they might say, like, we, I don't want that up. Sure. Yeah. You, <laughs> New phone. Who dis? And that's to that point. Like, right now, I mentioned this at the start of the show. If you go to ZodiacMindWarp.com, it kicks out to a Wix page, you know, set up your own website here. So their website's dead. You go to their Facebook page. It says Zodiac Mind Warp is on hiatus. So maybe that's just the way they want it. They want to, you know, ride off into the sunset. And if so, yeah, yeah, for sure. They've all joined the clergy. This this episode can be just a little (laughs) cherry on top for anybody who comes along and wants to revisit their work. But yeah, uh, exactly. You know, um, you guys, are you familiar with the band London choir boys? Yeah, sure. I am not. So you can't find that first record on streaming services. The very first one that came out, I think on Capitol when it first came out. Mm-hmm. And then they changed their name to Choir Boys as well. But that first record, can't find it. Not on, not on streaming services. At least the last time I looked, you couldn't. So there's, there's lots of records that actually, that we've all experienced just like growing up and then becoming, you know, like I said, old people. Um, that you can't get on one format or another. Hmm. Um, it's a, it's always about the hunt. So buy it, buy it when you see it. Get yeah. that spot ten nineteen well, album. That's like, yeah, I still, you know, it's exactly. nuts that I have as many DVDs and Blu-rays and CDs that I do, but I still sort of maybe misbegottenly, but believe in physical media. That if it does get taken down or whatever, you can't really take my CD away from me. You know, no, well, take it out of your cold dead hands. But yeah, my, that's, my that's wife. Exact- my, you know, murder me for having too much shit around the house, but that's a different issue. Yes. She's talked about it. I mean, that is a, is a different, you're right. That is a different issue, by the way. You're, you're right about that. 
below. I mean, by the way, you didn't mention Discogs when you talked about like finding used stuff. It you seems know, like I that didn't, were and uh, I, I should mention them because Discogs is excellent. I actually just finished uh, using Discogs, pulling together my collection of the record series uh, songs the Cramps taught us. Right, which is like the originals that the Cramps would cover. Or sometimes right. they would take a style or a riff and it would turn into another song. So I right. used uh, Discogs almost exclusively to pull together those seven albums. It took me like six months. But uh, yeah, big fan of Discogs. Thank yeah, you yeah, for, I love Thank them. you for mentioning that. Hey, you're welcome. So uh, one last thing just to, to close out the Zodiac Mind Warp discussion. To wrap this all up, I uh, picked up the book by Mark Manning, a.k.a. Zodiac Mind Warp, called Fucked by Rock. And it's largely the writings of a very unreliable narrator that is almost exclusively tales of juvenile sexuality, rampant sodomy, masturbation, and general rock and roll debauchery. Um, I just assumed this was a book about having sex with Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Is that not? It is not. (laughs) But there are a few facts that I did learn from this book uh, that I gleaned sort of between the lines. Uh, Number one, uh, you may not know this, Bill. uh, The Zodiac Mind Warp's manager was longtime Iron Maiden manager Rod Smallwood. Oh, interesting. No, didn't know that. Zodiac Mind Warp worked with two different Killing Joke bass players, Youth in the Early Days, and then Paul Raven, who played on Fire Dances and uh, some of the other bigger albums from Killing Joke, uh, was a later era, I think around 94, he played bass for Zodiac Mind Warp. One more fact I gleaned from this filthy tome, uh, Zodiac Mind Warp's road manager was a gentleman named David Balfi who also managed and played keyboards for a UK band called the Teardrop Explodes. Do you remember that band at all? I cannot say that I do. They featured a guy named Julian Cope, who you might recall from his 1986 minor hit, World Shut Your Mouth, in the video of which he spins climbing all over his mic stand for three minutes. Yeah, no recollection whatsoever. <laughs> Look it up. It's a real thing, man. Yeah, no, it's okay. Take your word for it. And additionally, Zodiac Mind Warp toured with Metal Church from Seattle in 1994. That's a weird bill. Yeah, right? They also, yeah. the tour that I mentioned to you. You're um, a weird bill. Where they, where they played <laughs> with uh, Guns N' Roses was the headliner in early 1988. The other band on that bill was Udo. Udo oh Dirk Schneider's band. Oh, yeah. Left sure. Accept. Yeah. So. Wow. So I thought that was brings interesting, all, too. That's a, that's a very back, uh, eclectic bill there. So, Anyway, <laughs> that's pretty much the Zodiac Mind Warp story as I understand it to date. Uh, if anybody from the band, uh, Mark Manning or anybody else, Cobalt, Stargazer, the longtime guitar player, uh, would like to reach out to us, uh, we'd love to hear from you. But uh, before we play this next cut, uh, Bill, I want to ask Billy. You, uh, Billy. <laughs> sorry. Yeah. What pisses you off, man? You know what really pisses me off, Steve, is when people call me Bill. Fuck. <laughs> I, I feel like I had that coming. Legit. You yeah. to- Totally. Actually, that doesn't really make me mad, but I, I will tell you a quick story about it. Typically, whenever someone calls me Bill, it is usually a man that is older than me. <laughs> so whatever the situation is, they're typically older than I am. And I've introduced myself or have been introduced to them as Billy. But... 
when we leave the interaction, they call me Bill. I feel like it goes all the way back to high school. That when I first well, met you, probably I was introduced as Bill. I don't know if that's right. Because I know that no, I called no, you no, Billy a lot, that's too. True. We absolutely, no, that's I absolutely totally called true. you Billy a lot. And yeah, I but you've had a weird dynamic when you too, say, but, like, this is my name, and the person comes back at you with a different name. Like, I'll be, sometimes that happens to me, I'll like, like oh, my name is Gordon. And like, oh, okay, Gordy. Like, no, didn't say that. <laughs> did, did you hear that? No, that's not what I said. Now, I got to give Canadians a break because I say, my name is Gordon, and they almost universally go, oh, hey, Gord. And, and I don't know. I, that's a that's a cultural thing, I guess, for Canadians that they hear Gordon and they say Gord. So I'll give them a pass. I like it. It seems friendly. I actually so, like Gord. I, Gordy, I'm with. I'm with you on that one. I think that, that would be a problem if that was the case. I was like, oh, come on, we can't have that. Yeah. No. So what? Someone once said, uh, "Anyone call you Gordy?" And I said, uh, "Nobody that I respect." <laughs> <laughs> nice. So seriously, the thing that pisses me off. Having a conversation with someone where it's obvious that they don't know what the fuck they're talking about, but they are certain that they do. Mm. Super frustrating. Dude, we just I, did a whole podcast. Well, look, I'm not I wasn't gonna bring that up, Gord, but thank you for mentioning that. And the other thing that I just I just can't stand is humidity. Um stupid for someone who's lived in New York as long as I have. I was gonna say, well you can still hate it and live there. It's, no, no, I do. I do. And having uh climate control inside your home is is really the great equalizer. So yeah, humidity and, and Stupid people. How's that? <laughs> Stupid, overly confident, talking people, I think. Yes, it. yes. Oh, I like how you put that. Yes, that's perfect. Well, I, I hope that uh, I didn't come across as too stupid in this episode. No, you, you didn't. You actually, you came across <laughs> as the most well-informed of all three of us. Well, Usually he does. the only one who remembers what he had well, you do have to ask yourself why. Yeah. Why is that, Steve? I, I think, like I said, it left an impression on me because it was catchy. Bands that I like, um, they amuse me. Like, their lyrics are pretty funny. So I think there's that, too. There's the humorous angle. There's kind of distorted, catchy riffs. And because of those things, it stayed in my car for a really long time. And I listened yeah, to it Yeah, but you got also got to ask yourself, like, would there be a Rob Zombie without Zodiac Mind War? Yeah. Or The Darkness. The Darkness is a band that I think of as, holy shit, they owe a, a great debt to Zodiac Mind Warp. Interesting, yeah, okay. Or was Zodiac Mind Warp a symptom? I mean, were all these things in play already, and Zodiac Mind Warp was, was the obvious thing to pop out of it? I don't well, know. We, we talked a li- just a little bit about the cult. Uh, their first guitarist, Kid Chaos, went on to join the cult. And play with them like on the Electric album and some tours and stuff like that after that. So right. uh, there was a, definitely some crossover. And I think he was friends with Ian Asbury. Also, uh, Wayne Hussey from The Mission is name dropped in the book as well. So I right. think there was some right. certain, like you mentioned, kind of goth slash glam bands from UK that were contemporaries at the time that were kind of buddies. I kind of feel like that once, uh, once Hanoi Rocks did their thing or started doing their thing, it almost set forth a chain reaction that was unstoppable. See, I think Hammer As, Rocks was more of an influence on L.A. than it was on... I mean, they lived in London, so they were definitely there. But you can make the argument, I think, that L.A. Guns and Faster Pussycat and all of those bands exploded posts after seeing Hanoi Rocks when they toured there. Yeah, I think you're right. I, I, th- I think that... Um 
the UK scene was is still such a very um, small place that all those all those bands that were operating at that time probably had a lot of interchangeable moments. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know if Hemi Rocks brought that all about or not, to be quite honest. I mean, I think that by the time they got to the size that it would have really mattered, then, you know, Razzle gets killed in the car with Vince Neil and yeah. the band's done. And, I mean, even I know the band has, has made a lot of records post that time period. It absolutely just knocked the wind right out of them for such a long time. I, I think totally that, did, yeah. I mean, I think that, I mean, doesn't, it's so hard to, to to go back and and map how all that stuff moved from one place to the next. Yeah, that'd be an interesting thing to look into to see, you know, what those what those steps were to get from one place to the next. Sure. There's your book I, idea. cuz I, I got to tell you, I mean, I hear a lot of clash in the Henry Rock and what Henry Rocks does. Mm-hmm. I hear a lot of a lot of other like sort of early punk influences even though um those knuckleheads from Finland were, you know, a little more, a little more pop inclined. Yeah, or or even old school rock and roll inclined. You know, it was dressed oh, yeah, yeah. up oh, for in sure. a certain glam package. But yeah, 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 for the, sure. The, the raw rock and roll bones that a lot of their music had, I don't think yeah. was shared by a lot of bands that would ape their look later on down the line. That was a different uh, sound, I, I, kind of. Yeah, totally agree. Yeah. Totally agree. Right on. Well, dude, I, I cannot, again, say how uh, great it is to hear your voice again. It's been, oh, it is uh, the best. Know, we've been having you, really conversations like this about music since, you know, I was a freshman and you were a sophomore in high school. Yeah, yeah. So totally. it's cool to, to have one of these conversations again. So thank music you so is the much bond, for man, and, and coming on the remains. show. Yeah, you're welcome, man. Thank you for inviting me and having me on. And it's been lovely to hear you guys' voice as well. Billy, one last thing. Um, where can... Our listeners buy your vinyl. Well, lots of places. Um, I think that the the records that most of your listeners would most be interested in are a lot of the things that Roadrunners put out over the years. And you can actually visit runoutgroovevinyl.com, I think is the actual URL. Um, uh, you can poke around there and, and uh, find some things. And I think uh, there'll be plenty there to, to keep you entertained. And you might find some things that you didn't know existed. And you, you might get turned on to some things that... Uh, you'll be happy about right on. And I will post a link to that on the bone bat page. So fantastic. Cool. All right. Well, uh, let's listen to a tune. What do you guys think? I think you should do it, Steve. This is my Absolutely. favorite tune off of Zodiac mind warp and love reactions. Latest album, which came out in 2010 on SPV Steamhammer records from Germany. This tune is called don't touch my guitar. Wait. 
This is Billy Fields, and it doesn't matter where I'm from, and you're listening to The Bone Bat Show. All right, once again, that was Don't Touch My Guitar from Zodiac Mind Warp and the Love Reaction from the 2010 album We Are Volsung on SPV Steamhammer. You can still find that one digitally and on CD via Amazon.com, so... As much as I'd like to point you to your local independent record store, that may be a better venue for this one. But your favorite used music venue is probably the place to get the earlier CDs and vinyl if you're interested. So, dude, you got any weird stuff this week? Yeah, yeah, it's it's weird, all right. From I'm ready. The city. Bring it. Okay, here we go. From the city of Los Gatos, which is Spanish for the Gatos, a Thai food restaurant is being sued because a person bought Dragon Balls, which they claim caused chemical burns. That's right. A spicy appetizer called Dragon Balls at the wonderfully named Cuda Thai restaurant in Los Gatos. <laughs> that is a good name. Isn't that great? Had a woman claims that she ordered the dish and it caused severe chemical burns to her vocal cords, esophagus, and weirdly right nostril. Were the Dragon Balls filled with bleach? I don't think so. Apparently, she's suing the restaurant and its owner and everyone who touched the balls, claiming that even though the menu says these appetizers are described as spicy chicken balls with mint shallot, green onion, and more... The dish is spicy, and she requested it be less spicy because she doesn't tolerate spicy foods well. Full stop. Yeah, if it's a spicy feel, dish. If it's got five peppers on it on the menu and you don't like spicy, don't order that dish. Yeah, right. Well, she did order the dish, and she claims that she was later diagnosed with internal chemical burns from the chilies in the Dragon Balls. The balls were just too much for her to handle. And so she is suing the restaurant. 
This is dumber, I think, than the hot coffee was hot lawsuit that McDonald's went through because, you know, you can actually get burned from hot coffee. You don't order hot coffee thinking it's going to spill on you. It might, but you don't think it's going to. You order hot balls for your mouth and then you sue because you got hot balls in your mouth. I'm sorry, lady. It's just too weird. That is my weird shit for the week. But it's not quite as dumb as the Tide Pod challenge. No, it's not. It's not quite as dumb as the... But the time comes to putting, right? yeah, co- chemical things in your mouth. Yeah. Now, if you ordered Tide Pods on a menu and it said caution contains Tide Pods, <laughs> and then you sue. Not Thai chili pods, Tide Pods. Right. The detergent. Yes. Yeah. Weird. Yeah, I never, it's just weird. I don't understand the world I'm living in. Uh, but you know, I do subscribe to a certain amount of you should order what you want. But I think that there's enough restaurants where you can kind of, you know, go to Burger King and get it your way. But if you're going to your restaurant that has pre-prepared stuff that's already made, then you kind of have to use your judgment. And I'm sure she had guidance. I go to enough restaurants where that has three, four, five stars. And I like spicy stuff, so I'll be on the higher end of that spectrum. But, you know, you should you should know better, really. I feel like that's on you. I think the judge is going to throw that out, Gordon. I hope so. I hope he throws it out and then gives her a heap and helping dish of hot chilies to think about what she's done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't know. That's my weird stuff for the week, Steve. Right on. Hot balls causing damage. You just wanted to say hot balls. I kind of did. <laughs> right on. Well, why don't we listen to another tune from Zodiac Mindworm? Let's do it. Let's go back to... 1988's Tattooed Beat Messiah for another banger off of that particular album. This is Planet Girl. So come on over here and fry me, baby. Give me some space. I'm gonna spread my disease all over the place. <laughs> Planet Earth's been in space for her Loose panic on a deep to 
Hey, this is J.D. Downing from the cross-country ski world, and you are listening to The Bone Bat Show. Following that, uh, another one from 2010's We Are Volsung. That was White Trash. So, dude, multimedia triage time. Right? Multimedia triage. What are you digging on I this noticed, week? Well, it's funny. I noticed in the notes that you wanted to talk about Justified City Primeval. Yes. Which is on the television. And because I noticed that was coming up, I realized that was an Elmore Leonard book I hadn't read. So I just oh. read city primeval by elmore leonard so how are they doing it how are they doing it with i mean the main character in the book is not in the tv show they plucked a guy out of a completely different book and they made him the protagonist of this how's it going really okay i have not read that book so i did not know that and i don't know who the protagonist you're speaking of is in the tv show uh, Raylan Givens is taking his daughter to summer camp, and there's an attempted carjacking. And of course, being Raylan Givens, 
he brooks no bullshit. <laughs> and it ends up with the the would-be robbers handcuffed in the back of his car. And so he takes them to Detroit to dump them off and then gets caught up in a court case for basically prisoner abuse. And then that is really just an excuse to get him in Detroit with his daughter. And then it goes on to this kind of a crime drama where you've got this 'er ne'er-do-well who had just got out of prison and he's trying to sort of get his grift back together and he starts banging heads with Raylan. So that's essentially the quick rundown of the first two episodes of City Premier. Interesting. Yeah, not not at all like the book. I mean, that, I, I guess you had to do something to put the cop there who's not there to start with because he's a Flor- Florida cop, right? Yes, he is. Yeah, okay. Because Elmore Leonard, most of his stuff is set in Florida. He's got... He's got uh, he with, did, he outside the, of his westerns. He did not. Nah, he did the mob stuff. Kill is it? Kill shot is a Detroit one. Uh, um, and yeah, kill shot where the guy, the steel worker. Yeah, and there's there's a it, couple of mob, a couple of mob books that take place in Detroit as well. And he did get Shorty, which moves between yeah. Los Angeles and, Miami, and uh, right. yeah, and Miami. Okay, I take okay. it back. A lot of his stuff. Well, I, now that I know about the book, probably I'll wait until the series is done and then go back and uh, read the book. I will say I didn't find it quite as captivating and riveting as the previous series, but the the level of uh, actors for him to play off of isn't quite as good. You don't have Walton Goggins chewing scenery on the yeah. show who was fucking fantastic in Justice. He's always great. Yeah. So... Without their their interplay, uh, Timothy Oliphant and Walton Goggins really made that show great. And also, uh, Margot Martindale, who plays the Moonshine Lady, uh, she's amazing as well. So a lot of great acting in that series. See, I never watched these. You never watched Justified? I've never watched Justified. Oh, I'm dude, a fan so of... so good. you got to go back. When you, when you find a dead spot in your viewing list... Go back and watch it because it's great. I felt like, oh, I've I know all these stories already. I've all I've already read them. I, I think I've watched the first episode and it was good, but I I didn't have interest. And you're right, I should I totally should. No, there's six seasons of it, so there's a lot yeah, of there's great a stuff. lot there. So, yeah, in yeah, the book, no, you I mean, there's definitely check it out. It, the book is this really kind of classic Elmore Leonard, where there's an incident that that starts out as just a small thing, but because a judge is killed then it becomes a much bigger thing. And the cop, the detective that's going after Clement Mansell, the yeah. Oklahoma wild man. Yeah, so Clement is the, he's the big bad. Yeah, but he's he's just an independent kind of like floater guy. He's he's associated, he's got some, some contacts in organized crime, but it's not like organized crime with capital O. No, and I, then think the detective, I think that's about the same. It's, it's not like okay. a, a mob story. It's him running rampant. He's like a loose cannon in Detroit. Yeah. Okay, cool. And, you know, I mean, I'm only two episodes in, but, like, I I sort of called it to Julie. I'm like, you know, the only reason that Raylan's daughter is in Detroit is so that Clement can threaten her. And sure enough, in second episode, he's threatening Raylan's daughter. So you could sort of see the direction it was going. But from here, I don't know. I've only seen the first two episodes. So we'll see what happens. Yeah. 
Interesting. But it, 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 uh, Timothy Oliphant, always fucking excellent to watch. Always good. Yeah. Uh, not quite the level of what Justified was previously, but maybe it'll get there. I mean, Better Call Saul didn't burn things up its first season, and it got to be fucking great by the end. So we'll see what happens. Yeah. I mean, and it's an interesting choice. I mean, the the detective in the book, he's sort of he's always trying to think about what kind of a man he is. And he has this sort of recurring fantasy that maybe he's a maybe he's more of a cowboy gunfighter kind of guy. Oh, okay. So they replaced that character with Raylan. Yeah, who is a cowboy gunfighter kind of guy. Yeah, right. Interesting. He doesn't just think about it. Yeah. All right. So what else have I did? Uh, Mission Impossible, which I discussed the frustrations of watching it with a dysfunctional family dynamic going on in front of me, but still a fun movie. Uh, did you see that? No, I did not see that. Okay. And I probably well, will. I'll see it on TV. I'm not a fan of that series. It's fine, uh, you know. But I've never been a big fan of that. Every time Tom Cruise does a movie, I go, I don't want to see Tom Cruise. And then I go to the movie. I'm like, that was fun. I'm so happy I saw that movie. This is more of the same. It's a fun, fun Tom Cruise movie. No, I did see and I, Oppenheimer. Are, did you do any ooh, of the Barbenheimer thing? Like, I that did was, not. That was kind of heating up the box offices last weekend. It was interesting. I, I kind of find it weird that basically a meme would drive uh, so much box office action over an opening weekend, but damned if we didn't have trouble finding a theater to go see Oppenheimer in on Sunday. Like, there was a lot of sold-out shows. So I feel like that's good for the theaters, it's good for Hollywood, it's good for movie makers and actors. And uh, if they can figure out a way to pay writers in that town, uh, it could be a, a boon going forward. Because I, I don't know that movie going had bounced back completely post-pandemic, but it definitely seemed to be hopping last weekend. Yeah, people were into it. They were dressing up. Did you dress up for Oppenheimer? I did not dress up for Oppenheimer. <laughs> oh, good. So, that would be uh, kind of messed we up. We went and saw Oppenheimer. Uh, it is a long movie, as you would expect. Uh, Christopher Nolan... The cast is insane. Like, every single bit part is somebody you've seen before. Like, there's a scene halfway through with Rami Malek holding a clipboard, and he's barely in it for, like, a minute. <laughs> it's like, Jesus, <laughs> any name actor, everybody you've seen before on stuff, everybody wanted to work on this film. And, uh, wow. of course, Killian Murphy is freaking great in it. It's a riveting story, even though it's long. It's able to explain science in a way that is easy to grasp, so you don't Wait, find yourself you understood wondering physics? things. Yeah, yeah, it explains oh things and covers things very well. And it does it also with uh, some wonderful cinematography. And there's also, like, the historical aspects of, like, you know, Oppenheimer meeting with Einstein to have, like, a personal conversation, different things like that. It was a crazy time, and, you know, it's interesting. I kind of want to see uh, Asteroid City now because... There is, really is sort of like this cult of Los Alamos, you know what I mean, in pop culture. Like in the fourth Indiana Jones film, and they're doing the bomb test. And it seems to pop up a lot in different films and books and media. And so seeing something that is kind of more of a hard look at history, I don't know that the history is 100% correct. They probably combine characters and events to get to the end. But, uh, yeah, you're, you're not going to learn any history or science by watching Asteroid City. Just No, no, but you're just, I, I was thinking it. about sort of how the legend of the creation of the nuclear bombs has been like there's a Manhattan Project film. 
You know, it, it pops up again and again in Hollywood. And it's, it's, it, that's a little bit interesting to me, how there's different takes at it and different looks from different angles. It was such a huge part of American history, you know? Yeah, yeah. So, Back anyway, to the world. Uh, only person I know who's seen both halves of Barbenheimer, uh, Julie went uh, with my daughter and saw Barbie, and uh, she said she enjoyed Barbie more than... Oppenheimer. So there you go. imagine that. Haven't seen haven't <laughs> seen Barbie yet, but I thought that Oppenheimer was really good and I would recommend it. Right on. What else are we digging on? We both finished out watching Black Mirror, which I think was yeah. good right up to the end. Holy shit. So the Maisie Day episode. Mm, wow. Excellent. Uh, wow. Definitely yeah. in my mind, I, I kinda don't want to spoil it. No, but I'm not saying squat about it, except you a, should watch it. There was a twist in it that I thought was different than any other Black Mirror episode, which, you know, five seasons, six seasons in, they can still do stuff that, that makes you go, whoa, you still got a bag of tricks, man. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So, and what about it, Demon 79, the final episode of Black Mirror? I think it belies what you previously said, but go on. I thought it was amazing. I thought it was fantastic. I, I really, really liked that. Oh, that's a really good point. Uh, they they did kind of do what I was saying they did in the previous one. So you got to watch them. Just check them out. Here's a question for you, though. Is okay. that the end of Black Mirror? Period. Well, I actually thought <laughs> season five <laughs> was the end of Black Mirror because they went on to go do other stuff, I thought. If you look at it, okay, spoiler alert, jump ahead if you don't want to hear this. The world fucking ended at the end of that episode. <laughs> so, you know, if you're going to end a Black Mirror, that's one way to end it. Or oh, if there yeah. is no crossover in the Black Mirror universe. But I think there's been a lot of Easter eggs between seasons and episodes up to now that that could very well be it. Mm, I don't know. No. I'm curious. I would love to no. see more. But if that ends that way, I think it could. that could be the end. I'm going to tell you, no, because that final episode where the world ends happens historically before other episodes in the Black Mirror universe. Name another episode where the, where Gosh, the world Gosh, just ended, tons of them. Where the world legit no, ended. Well, Not just that, for one person. The world ended. Yeah, the world ended, but there are other episodes which take place in the future with spaceships and with technology that doesn't exist yet in that episode. That episode was in an alternate 1970-something, I think. Yeah, Demon 79. Oh, yeah, 79. 79 would be a good guess. Yeah, um, okay, that's that's a good point. The episode with the space stations from this season was probably in the future. Okay, mm. uh, maybe you're right. Maybe maybe it's like The Simpsons. People can just die, the world can end, and they just reboot, and it comes back. Yeah, they just... You might be yeah. right. But, yeah, I, I when I saw the end of that, I was like, wait, what did they just do? Yeah, I thought it was a good way to end the season. But I thought we didn't even get any more after season five. So everything after season five <laughs> so is a gift. As far as you're concerned, this is like house money you're playing with. Yeah, this right. is absolutely house money. Right on. <laughs> Well, yeah, really good stuff. Uh, if you haven't seen it yet, go see it. You know, something else that is uh, kind of weird and science fiction-y. Have you heard about They Clone Tyrone? Heard about it? It's on my list. I haven't watched it yet. Is it good? Yeah, check it out. If you liked Sorry to Bother You. Love it. You will enjoy They Clone Tyrone. So, oh, and I'm uh, going to start watching that, you know, 
But I'm, what is it? I'm a Virgo? I don't know what that That's is. out. I don't know what that is. So it's from the guy that did uh, Sorry to Bother You. Oh, it is. I didn't know anything about that. Thanks yeah. for mentioning it. Yeah, but on back, Amazon. Back to what I'm talking about, though. Go they ahead. Their own. <laughs> <laughs> no, my show. So, it stars John Boyega from Attack the Block and Star Wars fame. Uh, he plays this kind of petty criminal who is just doing his day-to-day gang-banging, trying to collect money from people. And uh, he goes to collect money from this pimp who's played by Jamie Foxx. And one of his prostitutional employees, as it were, who is played by Tiona Paris, who you may know from WandaVision, plays a prostitute who gets caught up in this as well. So John Boyega goes to collect money from this pimp, Jamie Foxx, and when he's leaving, he gets shot down in cold blood by a guy he screwed over. Guy just empties a ton of bullets into him. The next morning, he wakes up, like Groundhog Day style, and he goes back to the pimp to collect his money. And the pimp's like, A, I paid you, and B, you're dead. And it turns into this whole weird conspiracy about cloning in the inner city that is fucking nuts. So if you like Sorry to Bother You, you'll dig this movie. It's on Netflix now. Check it out. I will absolutely do that. That If I wasn't podcasting right now, I'd probably be watching it. And you mentioned Venture Brothers. Yes, Venture Brothers. I think, uh, I don't know if you saw it or not, but... Radiant uh, is the blood of the baboon heart. Yes, I finished it this evening, right before the show. (laughs) Yeah, what a fun way to bring that series to a close. If it is indeed bringing the series to a close. Answers a lot of questions that you suspected you knew the answer to all along. And they're still weird. They're still wonderful. The chemistry is still there. If you've watched these Venture Brothers cartoons over the years... You owe it to yourself to watch Radiant is the Blood of the Baboon Heart. What did you think? I like how Jackson Public and Doc Hammer didn't do anything to prevent them from doing more Venture Brothers down the road. Oh, you can still have it, yeah. At the end of the day, it kind of felt like an expanded episode, but there was nothing irrevocable that would prevent them from making more of it if the money shows up somehow. Yeah, if Brock Samson wants to go and, like, cut some throats. I love the little throwaway jokes. I mean, the, the thing with the Jeff Goldblum as the roommate. <laughs> that was fun. <laughs> oh, we got the cockroaches. Whole, the, the Freddy Krueger guy, like, the whole, I guess, horror halfway house, you would call it, <laughs> that they stay in short briefly was a lot of fun. There was a lot of winks and nods that would make horror fans happy. And also, like, shout-outs to Barbarella and Zardoz, yes, crazy science oh fiction God. stuff. Yeah, they, they did a great oh. job of just packing it full of, like they always Make, do, a lot of jokes and references. Making you think about Sean and, Connery in ways that you wish you'd forgotten. <laughs> right. And, uh, no, it was a lot of fun. I kind of afterwards was thinking, wow, it kind of felt like, though, a lot of it was also this kind of side story with uh, Dr. Mrs. The Monarch. Like, she's yeah. one of my favorite characters, and she's featured heavily, so that was pretty cool. Uh, yeah, so I'm glad you watched it. I'm glad that happened. Came out of nowhere. I think right now the way to watch it is got to buy the, the DVD. Yeah, you can order the disc, uh, and there's a digital code. If you order the disc, you can also watch it digitally, so that's cool. I did order the disc, and uh, I ordered the Metalocalypse Army of the Doomstar that's coming at the same time. 
Uh, did you notice the Metalocalypse posters on the wall? I did. Yeah, I thought that was awesome. Because I've always been a fan of that series, too. So I'm Yeah, you got me into that. Seeing uh, their movie as well, which is uh, a month from now. It'll be middle August. So, Yeah, right on. Good stuff. Right on. Is that anything else? Yeah, I think we're ready to bring this thing home, Steve. Fuck yeah. Okay, well, uh, why don't we listen to another tune, Gord? Why don't we listen to Untamed Stare, Steve? Ooh, nice selection. Untamed Stare from Tattooed Beat Messiah. Dig it. Cyber on a motorbike, one bad. Mo- 
All right. Once again, that was Untamed Stare from the legendary release, Tattooed Beat Messiah. Legendary because you can't find it anymore. It's a legend, Gord. It's a legend. And as an added bonus, one last favorite of mine from 1991's Hoodlum Thunder. That was Dr. Jekyll and Me. So uh, thanks again to Billy Fields for joining us on the show. Uh, Billy was kind enough to... uh, offer up some vinyl from Runout Groove so that we could do a giveaway on the show, Gord. Now, to be clear, this is acoustic vinyl, not your special outfit, right? Yeah, no, no. It's not tight pants made out of rubber? Vinyl. Plastic? Vinyl. Is vinyl a rubber or a plastic? Just I'd say vinyl is a plastic. Okay. These are not like my shiny pants, no. These are actual record albums that you can listen to on a turntable. So, uh, if you would like to be included in the drawing for some awesome records of high repute, send your name, address, and the title of your favorite song that we featured during Jumbo Bonus July. So, might be a tune from Midnight, Thomas Andrew Doyle, Sorsha, or even Zodiac Mind Warp. Uh, send that in an email to steve at bonehand.com. Uh, you can just title the email, Final Giveaway. And uh, you will be entered in the drawing. So that's going to take place uh, when we record the next episode. So that'll be Bone Bat Show 218, which I think we're going to record on August 15th, 2023. Uh, and that is open, unfortunately, to U.S. listeners only. Vinyl is made from chlorine and ethylene, by the way. Ooh, what are my pants made of? <laughs> now they're 90% sweat. <laughs> Once again, the contest is courtesy of Runout Groove. Thank you again to Billy Fields for making this happen. Thanks, Billy. Also, I'd like to thank J.D. Downing for joining us on the show. And huge thanks to Zodiac Mind Warp and the Love Reaction for all the killer music. Uh, Also, my apologies for any inaccuracies in the reporting. You can find a link to purchase their latest album, We Are Volsung, on the Bone Bat page. And uh, our usual bullshit. You can reach the show at 425-296-6557 or via email to steve at bonehand.com. There's new content on bonehand.com every once in a while. It's also the home of the heavy half hour. And you can find my stuff on mightywombat.com. That's right, cartoons. Mostly just cartoons and some kind of cool pictures that you could buy on a t-shirt or a coffee mug, I guess, if you wanted just listening to somebody talking about, remember when everyone had their own website? Maybe it's going back to that. <laughs> Maybe you know? Maybe we're, we're headed that direction again. So go be a leader in this resurgence. Go to MightyWombat.com. But if you don't, I'm still on Facebook and threats and Instagram. Yeah, there's there's Bonehand and Bonebat on X now, but I don't even know what the fuck that is, so... X, that's a drug. Steve, that's, you're on uh, drugs. That's uh, what Twitter is now, if you go to Twitter. Like, it's a shit show. I don't know. Uh, uh, yeah, the, more the symbol for closing a window is now <laughs> yeah. the Bone- name of the company. <laughs> that's funny. I didn't think of that. Uh, Bonebat Show on Instagram, where you can uh, keep track of us there. Uh, additionally, uh, we have a page on Facebook where we feature fun stuff like albums from bands that we have featured on the show, uh, video game deals, shorts that we dig, all kinds of cool content. So check that out on Facebook as well. 
and that brings Jumbo Bonus July to a close, man. What a month. We did it. We got to the end. I hope uh, everybody enjoyed this. Uh, if you uh, This is the first one this month you're listening to. A bunch of great shows we just released, so uh, check out the rest of the month's offering. And uh, I hope you dig it. If you like what we do, please spread the word and tell a friend. Uh, we've got one final song tonight from Zodiac Mind Warp. And the love reaction. Uh, we're going to do one more from Tattooed Beat Messiah because it is a great album. This is uh, Driving on Holy Gasoline. Once again, I'm Steve. This is Gord. Have a good one. I do have a good one.
new phone, who dis? 